Aloha party people, you are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 99. This episode is sponsored by Tandawai Rum. Since 1854, Tandawai Distillers has been producing quality rum from the Philippines. The indisputable history of their Philippine rum is the foundation of which the Tandawai legacy continues today. Tandawai Asian Rum is made with premium varieties of heirloom sugarcane grown in the Visayas region of the tropical island of the Philippines. It is the same Southeast Asian vintage canes that has been cultivated for centuries in the tropical maritime climate and rich Philippine soil, which makes Tandawai Asian Rum distinctly Filipino. Tandawai Rum also has lots of history in the tropical exotic cocktail era when it first began with Don the Beachcomber and his Filipino barmen in the 1930s. There's evidence that these legendary bartenders created some of the first tropical cocktail recipes using Tandawai Rum. For more information, go to TandawaiUSA.com or stop by Tandawai USA's Facebook page. Today, we chat with mixologist Mark Hooper. I first met Mark at TikiCon in Portland, Oregon as a competitor in this year's Iron Tiki Tender Challenge. Among several topics, we chat about what his strategy and experience was like for this competition, as well as the tiki bar he'll be opening in the near future. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. And if you did, hit that subscribe button. Subscribing makes it easier for you to follow our adventures. Shares on your social media are always appreciated. And if you'd like to help support the show, go to DesertOasisRoom.com and click on the donate button. Every donation, no matter the size, is totally appreciated and helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. Okay, here he is, the man of the hour, Mark Hooper. Mark. Hey. Aloha. This is Adrian. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, I am okay. If I start coughing, I apologize. I'm still getting over my bronchitis. I'm clearing my throat too. Like in my household, I think my son or someone had bronchitis over here, and everybody kind of started getting the same symptoms. So it's everywhere, man. I have um, talked to so many people that have – pardon me. I'm, I'm also eating a sweet roll. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I just I just powered down a, a Krispy Kreme jelly donut before I called you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I've talked to people that have had it for six weeks and eight weeks, and, man, that's just – that's rough. Oh, yeah. Are you on antibiotics for that? I, I did a round of antibiotics last week. Okay. This is week two, and the antibiotics didn't do anything for you then. Well, I think they did, but I think that it was just really in my system, heavy duty. Um. Yeah, you're just gonna have to power through it, I guess. I'm gonna have to because next week, um, we we have a big festival in Northwest Arkansas called the the Fayetteville Roots Festival, and I've got to do a, a brother Cleve is coming into Fayetteville to meet me. Oh, nice! And we're doing a, a Tiki Island. They're they're doing um, this is a, a big event that's been uh, 
a big music festival and and uh, focus on the culinary arts that we get chefs from around the world and um this year we're putting a focus on spirits also so there's going to be like a vermouth bar uh, a bubbles bar right um and then we're going to have a little tiki island and we're going to crack coconuts and and uh serve cocktails out of coconuts and oh that's cool yeah so I've got to get my energy. I need to get rested and have my energy because I'm gonna be. I'll be working my butt off. Let me ask you about the coconut thing because when you start cracking coconuts, what are you gonna do with all of the coconut water inside? We, uh, that's a good question. We'll have a bucket. Uh huh. We'll have it's plural, and we will collect the coconut juice because that will in turn go into my Tangaroa cocktail. Okay, so you do have a cocktail that's developed already with that. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I know the same issue exists for pineapples when people core pineapples. Right? It does. And, but, you know, like the pineapple juice is a little bit easier to work with than the coconut water. Yeah. And the fruit of the pineapple holds most of that juice. So. Right, right. I, I pour a lot of pineapples. And um, and when you pull the core pulp out um, and you and you. um you empty the uh, the shell, uh, you'll get about two ounces of, of juice. But if you press that fruit, you'll get a whole lot more. Uh, so I, um, I, when I core it, I always do it in a bowl um, so that I can, can collect as much of that juice as possible and use the fresh pineapple juice. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way to go. And, and the fresh pineapple juice is... It's awesome, you know. And it is good. It, yeah, it, to me, I will I will take uh, I, a little trick that I've done. I'll take a little bit of fresh pineapple juice, and I will add it to whatever pineapple juice I'm using for cocktails. Oh, uh, yeah. And it helps. To me, it, it enhances it. Because, you know, I try, and we all try to, to get unsweetened pineapple juice. Right. But it's so hard to do, right? Uh, but that that kind of helps uh, adjust the flavor a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it does make a big difference. We we were making cocktails that required pineapple juice as an ingredient, and we actually tried them with the fresh pineapple juice, the way you would freshly juice a lime. Yeah, and it did make a difference in the cocktail. Yeah, and if if you ever get the opportunity to get a um, a fruit press and press that pineapple juice uh, from the pulp man mm-hmm. that's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah it's also hard I don't know if you have a hard time finding white grapefruit yeah uh, that's another tough one it is yeah very and um, you know so many recipes call for white grapefruit and if you if you pay attention in a lot of bar, bars you'll see pink grapefruit juice yeah, and there's a huge difference with the white grapefruit. Oh, there, you're, you're, yeah, absolutely. It, there's a a different flavor about it. Yeah, um, but I love grapefruit. I think grapefruit is the is the the greatest mixer on the face of the earth. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the fact that it's got that sweet sweetness plus that bitterness at the same time. Yeah, yeah, makes a really makes it for an interesting flavor profile. Have you heard of the cocktail tree? Have you heard I have, of that? It, but it, I have 
It's a citrus tree that has multiple fruits all grafted into it. That's crazy. Right? I think it's got limes. I think it's got lemons. And I think it's got... Uh, I, I want to say what would make sense to me would be grapefruit because of the tart. You know, I can't imagine that there would be a sweet fruit up there along with those two tart fruits. But I think that they even had them at Home Depot at one point that you could go down and buy one. How does that work? How does that physically work? Well, it's a, it's a way that botanists have messed with the the uh, the structure of the the plant, right? Just like. You know, when, when they when they mess around with the color of tomatoes and they mess around with, um, you know, grape varieties and things like that, you know, they Frankenstein this plant that has multiple <laughs> fruits on it. Or I should say a tree that has multiple fruits on it. So, yeah, look it up. Um, of, of course, I wouldn't be able to grow one because I can't even grow my lime tree. I bought a lime tree like three years ago from a local... Uh, what do you call those? Um, you know, that just sells like all like trees and flowers and and um, you know. arbor um, um, uh, arbor or um, a nursery. Nursery, yeah. So, um, bought one from a local nursery, and it was perfect. It actually had limes and stuff on it already, but it was still a little one. Planted it in a space where there's lots of water and lots of room for it to grow. And I think it actually shrank. <laughs> the fruits that were on it, they eventually fell off. And I never saw fruit on it again, you know. <laughs> so well, I, it might just be the location, too. I don't know if it's, you know, maybe it just doesn't get enough sun. I don't know. But I thought lime trees were pretty hardy. I thought that they didn't really require a lot, you know. I thought they were, too. But, but I can empathize. I actually killed a mint plant. And, you know, it's yeah. hard to <laughs> well, I've done that too, but you know how I how I killed it was I put it in a pot and I think the roots choked it out because I took a mint plant and I put it in a planter next to a sprinkler head and boy, that thing grew like so fast and so hardy that it scared me because I didn't want the roots to start uh, you know, like growing out underneath the concrete over to the grass and then taking over my front yard like where the grass was. So so after two weeks, I gutted that whole planter that it was in in the ground. And I, I planted a, um, a pygmy palm in its place just to get the roots of the pygmy palm to choke it out. And I took that mint and I put it in a terracotta pot, like a big terracotta pot. And it did okay in there for a while. It, it didn't thrive as well because I didn't water it the same way that, it, you know, sprinklers would water it on a timer every day. And it eventually, because the roots, I guess they just, they grow on the surface, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They grew all across that terracotta pot to the point where it was just all root bed and you couldn't even get to the dirt, you know? And I, <laughs> I think it just choked itself out, so. Well, I, I'm not so sure that I... My dogs didn't kill mine. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I had also heard a friend of mine who's a botanist. He said, um, I don't think that I was harvesting the the mint enough. That you, when you pick the mint, you pull the mint off of it, you, you, you pull the stems. It actually perpetuates regrowth. And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. 
I still think my dogs were pissing in the. <laughs> <laughs> were you consuming that mint? <laughs> no. Well, at, by, at that point, it was um, my uh, my plant was stemless. It was uh, just a stem. It wasn't cultivating any branches or leaves. So, luckily, there wasn't any mint to consume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, I, I was gonna say, man, like you, you don't want to be putting that mint in your in your drinks or your food unless it's washed very, very well. <laughs> People sure were bragging about my cocktails. Right. <laughs> it has that extra ting to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, so speaking of cocktails, I wanted to talk to you about that because when you and I met, and, and let me let me preface what I'm gonna say by saying that. Uh, I really enjoyed meeting you and hanging out with you in Portland. That was a fun weekend. Yeah, it was. It was. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, man. I, have, I mean, like, I we, we come from two different backgrounds, you know? I mean, you're from the South. Is it South or the Midwest where you're from? Well, it's the South, but it's – Arkansas is stuck in a – it's funny. In fact, there was a debate about this on Facebook, but – Arkansas is right at the apex, and it's not an apex, but the intersection, if you will, of the Midwest, the Southwest, and the Deep South. Okay. And um, depending upon where you are in the state, you kind of identify with those. Like if you're down in Southwest Arkansas around Texarkana, you feel like you're in Texas, um, and a lot of the a lot of the um, western side of the state uh which borders oklahoma kind of identifies with that more of a southwest mentality um along the border you have a lot of the uh, borders of of the indian nations like the cherokee wapaw nation so that that evokes a different type of cultural ethos right there gotcha Uh, if you're up in northwest arkansas in the fable area it feels more like missouri and it feels more like the midwest and here in Little Rock uh, and South in the Delta, it it, it is um, it feels more like the South, and um, it's it's crazy. But I, we've you know even back during the Civil War when um, you had the states separate from the Union, there was a big battle in the Arkansas State Legislature where part of the state wanted to succeed and and and. The other part of the state didn't want to succeed, and the upper third of the state of Arkansas almost got annexed with the state of Missouri because they were going to uh, stay in the union with Missouri and not go with the Confederate states. So there was even a a battle over that ideology back then. Mm-hmm. We just seem to be at that crossover point for a lot of different right 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 and that's why i asked because i wasn't sure you know but but what i was getting at was that you know when we met i mean we couldn't come from two more different backgrounds me having grown up in southern california and you growing up there and i felt like we really connected that weekend and so um uh you know, I just wanted to preface what I was going to say about that. And and here's the thing. So this is what I wanted to get into was that when I started to learn about your background, you don't run a bar, right? Or am I wrong about that? I, I, you run a pizza. You run a pizza place, right? My my background is that I am primarily sales rep for Pink House Alchemy. 
Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So, uh, so I am wrong about that. I am on the road a lot, uh, or, or sitting here at, at the house making sales calls. Um, so what that entails is, is I'm helping retail stores, cocktail bars, coffee bars, a lot of coffee houses, uh, liquor stores with our product. So, um, which is shrubs, bitters, and syrups. And you can kind of get a good feel for our company if you go to um, pinkhousealchemy.com. Okay. Um, so how did I how did I get me, the impression of the pizza, uh, the pizza well, thing? Well, I do bartend, and I, I, I bartend in two capacities. I consult, and in fact, I help put a bar. I, I help put a cocktail program into a new restaurant south of Little Rock in an area called Hot Springs Village. So I have consulted and have have helped create cocktail menus and um which i guess is maybe uh, perhaps maybe that's why i uh came uh on a little stronger in the mixology part of the competition Mm -hmm. than um than the other two parts um i regret i regret the fact that i just threw in the towel on the speed round i knew that they were gonna be faster than me but i should have given it more effort oh you know what i didn't even know that you did that i don't i don't think anybody else did either (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was I was moving at a pace, I, but I was I was not, you know. Um, Jeannie was was genius the way she had strategized, for lack of a better word, right? The way she, the way she planned her attack on that speed round, that that was. Um, so tell me about that because as an observer, I don't think that I noticed. I just. I just oh. saw a bunch of action. I mean, like when that what the speed round, if I remember correctly, was the first round, right? It was the first round, yeah. So when the competition started, and for our listeners that don't know, what we're talking about is the Iron Tiki Tender competition at TikiCon. When the competition started, I just remember right off the bat, a bunch of materials just kind of came flying off of your table. Yeah, I pushed them off. Oh, you did? Okay. I thought that was an accident. I thought maybe like you bumped it with, you know, and then like they all just came flying off. So I had this strange idea that I was going to push a tin, not every tin off, <laughs> off of my bar to break the ice. Just, just, just. To, got, I got it. Okay. You know, it was going to be my, it was <laughs> now that I look back, it was going to be uh, my mistake on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see. I thought it was a mistake. <laughs> But I just remember seeing a bunch of stuff crashing down and thinking, oh, man, I wonder how that was going to affect your performance, because then you wouldn't have any tools, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, I was uh, of the mindset that I was working a single tin and um, and batching more than than a single drink in that one tin. But Jeannie was so um, she was so crack to use that in a positive way. uh, with her method, she um, she had se- if you notice she had several tens on her bar. Yes, she had a whole whole lineup of big tens. And um, what she did is she hit with um, I think she had if I remember correctly I think she had her two rums uh, in uh, in one hand and was doing speed pours. And I I would guess that she was either doing them both at an ounce or she had a a speed pour that pours that is designed to pour a little more so that one's doing an ounce and a half and the other's doing an ounce. Okay. In her other hand, she had her, um, her dry crisp sal, 
So she was just hitting each 10 with, with that. And I don't know if, you know, I was watching her out of the corner of my eye as I was working, mind you. Um, I don't know if she was doing more than one in that 10, but she filled, but, but she had the 10 tens on her bar and she was filling them all and she got all of her drinks prepped and then she capped them and shook them. And she just, I know that Kelly did well in the speed round, but I think that Jeannie just lapped us. I think that, yeah, I think, I mean, she I finished that, what, like five minutes early, right? Yeah. She, she just blew us both away. And I think that, I think that Kelly, Kelly got all 20 cocktails done, um, but not at the pace that, that Jeannie did. And then I, I finished with, uh, I did, I got 10 Mai Tais done. Um, so I, I think I crippled myself by knowing that that wasn't my forte, uh, and, uh, not, not meaning to, but just kind of giving up that round, giving that round to, to them. Uh, I should have given that a much stronger effort. Okay. Okay. Because you, they, you know, you got a lot of bartenders that come from a background of they'll come up through the ranks, the corporate restaurants. They'll they'll, they'll bartend at a TGI Fridays or at a, an Applebee's or some god awful place. <laughs> <laughs> But they learned speed bar. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not come up to those ranks. I bartended right. at, at, right out of college. Um, but the fact that I'm older than Jeannie and Kelly, um, I bartended in an age where basically you were you were serving beers, an occasional Long Island iced tea, and an occasional Cuba Libra. Mm -hmm. and it was before the whole cocktail scene really. Right, right started to manifest itself um so i never was built for speed um i my rebirth in the cocktail scene was as a craft cocktail slash mixologist so i was um a home mixologist and and creating cocktails and writing about cocktails and um and then became a bartender um so uh when i'm at the pizzeria which is where i do bartend when i am in town and uh, I uh, am, you know, I, I think Kelly mentioned it in his interview with you that I'm kind of an old school bartender. I'm, I'm very measured and mm -hmm. very methodic about the building. Um, yeah, and I do, I do, I do events, uh, and I have to move faster when I'm at those events, and I do, uh, but I don't have that background that a lot of bartenders have, where they learned how to really puff it and, and, and blow through some cocktails, you know. Um, so, so that's, that's my weakness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we all have that. We all have, I mean, like what, as somebody who's, I've never worked professionally in a bar before and I don't pretend to be like this all-star craft cocktail bartender. I, I know where my limits are, which are very much lower than a lot of the people that I hang out and drink with. Right. Because there's so many great bartenders in our tiki and cocktail world. Yes. And yeah. there there have been times where I've had the honor of standing behind the bar at the Tiki Tea, for example, to mix a couple of my own cocktails. And as soon as the traffic starts to ramp up, I got to admit, man, I'm like deer in the headlights, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, all right, guys, uh, I, am I done now? Can I can I go back to the other side of the bar? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's intimidating, it, you know, it is intimidating. It is. It's challenging. But it's also fun. Yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah, that's pretty cool that you get to uh, sit behind the bar at Tiki. Well, I, it was a special treat, you know. It it, it was. I would say maybe a year or two ago. I haven't been back behind there ever since. I I enjoy to be on the side of the bar where I get to order the drinks. <laughs> so there are times those guys get really slammed, and you will see them make like you know twenty or thirty raise mistakes all at one time, and they do it with no issues. It's just like they're mixing one, you know. Yeah, it, They're old pros, you know. They're just so used to just lining them up, and they just. They go right through it stress-free. You, you see it in their face. They're just making another drink, you know. Surely. And yeah. you know what's awesome about Tiki Tees is they've got a huge, huge drink menu. Yeah, 94 uh, drinks. God. And, and they they just they don't they don't stu- they don't stumble a single moment. No. When someone orders like that 94th one that's not as not ordered as often as right, the other. Right, right. You know, I have an old joke where I say, you know, if I had 94 girlfriends, I wouldn't remember all their names. <laughs> <laughs> and they they not only remember the names, they remember all the idiosyncrasies of that girlfriend, right? They, they remember all the ingredients and, and what goes with what and what you're not supposed to do and what you are supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe you should have more respect for Fonzie, doesn't it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, word to the 70s. Um yeah, I am always. Uh, I, I hope that the regular patrons, and, and I think in the tiki community there is a lot of. I, well, let me let me back this all up. While at TikiCon, uh, Jeannie and Kelly and I were absolutely blown away by how we were treated like rock stars by everyone. And I, well, I you gotta, are. You're, well, you were one of the competing bartenders. Look, I'm gonna say this you know it's not easy to throw yourself out there you know like this competition that where you know you're, you're in front of how many people were in that room it was 500 plus yeah so yeah. just to go up there and not only just make a drink to where you're going to be judged about your drink but then to compete and do it against other bartenders that are of a certain caliber you know yeah. you're opening yourself up to criticism and ridicule and whatever sure. else you want to throw out there so yeah dude you're a rock star man when you put yourself well, out there like that that and and that community was just i mean you know everybody treated us so so well um this happened on saturday morning i was in the marketplace i was just shopping around in all the booths and i had uh, a moment to stop and talk to the legendary monk tiki mm-hmm. uh I, I was visiting with paul and he's such a nice guy and it yeah, was he's such super an honor, cool yeah such an honor to finally meet him and visit with him and a a girl came up and tugged on my shirt and said hey i want to get a picture and i turned and i stood next to paul and i thought she was going to take a picture she said no no i i, I want to get a picture w- with you and my sister and I looked over at Paul, and he was smiling, and I said, um, this is Monk Tiki, uh, and <laughs> he is a legend in the Tiki world, and she's like, yeah, I, I want to get a picture of you. I was just... That's was, awesome, I, man. I was gobsmacked. I was That's like, awesome. Uh, okay, and Paul just laughed it off. He was <laughs> he was so gracious about it, and and then, you know, afterwards, he and I went right back to, uh, to chatting. I, I regret the one thing that... Um, I regret is that we as the competitors did not get to keep 
the Monk Tiki Turtle Bowl. That is a piece of art. And oh, yeah. I, I wanted to pack that in my bag and bring it home. <laughs> Maybe they were just loners for the competition. They were. They were. And, and um, apparently uh, it's a hard mug to find. But, God, that's, that's a gorgeous piece of work. So let me ask you, before the competition started, did you know what the rounds were going to be? I mean, you obviously did not know what the boxed ingredient was right or ingredients but right. did you know there was going to be a speed round yes and yes. then you knew the you knew about the garnish competition yeah. okay blair, blair brief blair had uh, prepped us if you will on what the categories are also i watched uh the uh, video on youtube of uh last year's competition um Actually, a couple of years. I think that I watched the one year that Jason won, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, and and uh, last year, the um, the bartender at Halapele, she was the winner. Um, and uh, but yeah, so so watching watching past Iron Tiki's uh, was was a primer on what to expect as well. So the reason why I ask is. You knew that you were going to be making garnishes for a bowl rather than a yeah. rocks glass or mug or anything like that. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because your garnish was now there were great garnishes in there. Genie had you know really giant complex garnish. Yeah. And you know no diss to Genie or anything because I love her. She's she was a great competitor and a very very skilled bartender. But her yeah. garnish fell, you know, like when they moved it to the table and she had to rebuild it. So I thought, okay, um, you know, is there any points knocked off for that or whatever, right? But I don't know. That's beside the point. Well, and, you know, I I, I remember Blair saying that um, he said, your garnish was, was cute. It was awesome. It wasn't it wasn't garish. Um, well, I, I thought it was extremely creative because when you look at, like, the carvings that people hang on their walls of the outrigger paddlers and the outrigger and all that. And I thought, oh, wow, you created that with a garnish. And everybody's using bananas and making dolphins out of their bananas. Yeah. You did something different. You actually made outrigger paddlers, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I thought it was awesome. I thought it was extremely creative. It was my favorite one out of all the garnishes. I appreciate that. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember, but when I finished my garnish, I, I did finish my garnish before – um, the two architects were building their cities. Uh, in their- <laughs> um, but and by the way, their garnishes were were amazing. But yeah, I they were great. Feel, I do feel and 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 they. I think that if you if you were to look at, um, I don't know for for sure, but I think if you were to look at the judging, I think my garnish would have finished third in the judging. But in my opinion, I had the best garnish because mine was functional. Uh, you you can't create a garnish for a cocktail and have it not be functional. And I finished my garnish, and I took that, that bowl, and I put it above my head, and I, I turned all the way around. And and my point was that my garnish is, is there in my bowl. It's not moving. That, and you can fill that bowl with a cocktail. You can serve it. People can, you know, it, it's you can use what I created. That is exactly what I was getting at when I said that Genie's garnish collapsed. So, yeah. um, not that it wasn't a great garnish because it was, it was, it was beautiful and elaborate. But your garnish was, it was a, you know, like something that could be realistically used 
and yeah. built in a functioning, busy bar, right? And again, the creativity of doing something different with a banana was something that stuck out to me, you know? So I pre- that sounds and dirty, I- doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just realized that after I said it, <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I almost killed somebody out in the audience when I was throwing bananas out in the crowd. I know. <laughs> you know what? You almost killed me. I ducked and I know. It I went over that. it went over me. I ducked like like really fast. And if I didn't, it would have nailed me in the face, but it went over me and then it knocked some girl's cocktail over sitting behind me, the table behind me. <laughs> I was feeling a little goofy. Um, I'll be honest with you. My reflexes aren't normally that quick, and uh, I'm (laughs) glad they were that day. (laughs) If you have a product, service, or event that you'd like to bring attention to, we can help. This podcast reaches thousands of listeners in over 96 countries every week. Imagine hearing your ad in this spot, just like you're hearing this one right now. Sponsor an episode and get the exposure you deserve. For more information, go to DesertOasisRoom.com and click on Services. This episode is brought to you in part by Steadfast Pomade. Steadfast Pomade is a strong-holding, medium-bodied, water-based styling product for men and women, which leaves your hair looking slick, neat, and shiny with a clean, fresh scent. Its unique formula allows you to easily restyle your hair throughout the day and washes out with ease. Steadfast Pomade is American-made and veteran-owned, available in original and anchor hold. Get yours today at SteadfastPomade.com. Tame the waves and keep it steadfast. This episode is sponsored by the Tiki Tea. Founded in 1961, the Tiki Tea is a family-owned and operated tropical drink bar practicing the lost art of exotic cocktail mixing. Come try their house specialty, the Ray's Mistake, a delicious concoction of botanic liqueurs, passion fruit, gin, and rum for only $6 on Wednesdays until 9 p.m. The Tiki Tea is located at 4427 Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, California. For more information, check out their website, tiki-ti.com. The Tiki Tea, ground zero for tropical drinks. Let me let me back up if I can. Uh, we got on the topic and I was talking about how uh, we were treated like rock stars and I wanted to stress a, a bigger point and, um, and that is and I'm I'm, ta- I'm connecting a whole lot of points to this. I uh, on the Sunday night um, we were at Halapele and I really enjoyed watching the bartenders at Halapele. One of the things that I'm always mystified by, and, and I was getting to this, the cocktail community and, uh, and specifically the, the tiki cocktail community, the people are all very appreciative and very reverent of the bartenders who create their cocktails. And, um, I was watching along with a whole lot of other patrons at Halapele, the one bartender make five different cocktails and she she did not five different cocktails. She wasn't right. making two mai tais. She was doing five different cocktails on the menu, and she knocked them out. And it, it is as a bartender, I am always taken aback to when I see someone do that because it takes intense concentration. You're 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 trying to remember the ingredients for each one, and you're trying to re- remember the measurements for each one. In some cases, you have to add certain things first. Um, so there's a lot that's going on in your head when you're doing that. And she was doing them at a pretty quick speed at a clip. And um, and and the bigger picture is I, I really 
appreciate and being at TikiCon and being a part of Iron Tiki Tender, uh, I have come to appreciate even more the uh, the reverence uh, that the Tiki community gives the, the bartenders, the mixologists that create the cocktails. It's it is almost like we um, have a spiritual place among the community, like we're the the uh, the shamans or the uh, you know the rain dancers or whatever whatever you want to call it but um it, it's it's amazing how and and it, you know not just being treated like rock stars at tiki con but when i do tiki takeovers and i work with some of my friends in the in the tiki bar community um we get that same kind of respect from people and it's it's very um uh, it's very humbling yeah uh, you know it's it, it's cool yeah, you know, when you say that she was working, you know, what like a half dozen different drinks, they're all different. And then we were talking about, you know, and I mentioned that these guys at the Tiki Tea, well, they'll make like 20 or 30, you know, all at one time. My, the first thought that came to my head when you were saying all that was, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. Right. Uh, but but I, I uh, yeah I'm still kind of uh, I I am still coming down from the high that I got yeah being a being a part of that yeah yeah you know the only thing that would have made that weekend perfect for me was if we didn't have such stifling hot weather I know I know and I apologize for bringing the Arkansas summer to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was what we were experiencing down in Southern California, too. I thought I was going to yeah. be able to escape some of that heat and humidity, but yeah, you, you just I, don't expect that in the Pacific Northwest, you know? No, no. It's, I had I had two uh, trips this summer, uh, Adrian. I had one to upstate New York for uh, Ohana, Luau at the lake. Yeah. And it was unseasonably warm there um, uh, in the Adirondacks, uh, an area that normally has temperatures that are comparable to portland so um i i got to go to two locations that normally uh, are a little less uh aggressive with the heat right in the right right both both of them it was just like being here in arkansas yeah. was, um, Spe- um, speaking of which what's the weather like out there right now it's actually a little better today it's been hot and and uh what's funny is it'll when it gets um you know it'll be up t- uh, around 100 in the upper 90s the other day it was only 88 degrees but the humidity was at 80 percent and when the humidity is that high it feels hotter it felt like 100 degrees even though it was 88 yeah degrees. yeah yeah makes everything um, real uncomfortable and sticky and yeah yeah exactly exactly and um you know I love the city of New Orleans, but it's like that in New Orleans all the time. Um, yeah. You go to New Orleans in October and it's humid, and <laughs> we get it in Little in Little Rock, but not on the level that New Orleans gets it. But being in this area, um, you get a lot of these high pressures that get trapped in the Gulf of Mexico, and they just they hang over us, and it makes makes life sticky and steamy and nasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't avoid that. No. Where you are, no, but that's that's why I like to get away and hang with my tiki brethren in other locations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me, what is tiki like out there in Arkansas? Is there anything we're seeing? 
Yeah, it's changing. There's um, if anyone is in the Fayetteville, Bentonville area, and a lot of people are these days because of Walmart being headquartered there. Um, a lot of people that are in the retail uh, business may fly in and out of Bentonville. Um, there is a bar in Fayetteville called Cannibal and Craft. Oh, and, Cannibal uh, and Craft. That's an interesting yeah. name. So yeah, and it's a cool, it's a cool bar. These guys, um, they do traditional craft cocktails on one side, and on the other side, they do tiki cocktails. Um, and um, it, it's it's all right. It, I, I wish the tiki factor was a little higher on the tiki side. Um, it it comes off just almost generic in a way uh, with just thatch roofs, and they they need more tiki's. They need uh, more dedication. They're, they're, the guys that own it are really dedicated to the craft side. Right. Uh, so it's a start. Um, you it's know, better I, than what you had before. It's yeah. something, right? So you can build on it. Once these guys probably start learning more about the tiki history and and culture and all that, you know, they you never know what they're going to do. So well, you know, tiki's kind of blowing up in the Midwest. It's uh, not just Tiki Cat in Kansas City, but you have La Colono in Omaha. There's a fantastic bar in Springfield, Missouri called um, Golden Girl Rum Club. My friend Rogan um, uh, runs this bar, and it, it it's it looks a little bit more like I like a Miami cocktail bar, but he is a fantastic mixologist um, and does some fantastic tiki cocktails. Um, Saturn Room in Tulsa is a beautiful. Uh, really well done cock, uh, tiki bar. Gavin Hatcher's the, the head bartender there does a fantastic job. Of course, tiki cat's blowing up, and as you know, people are traveling. It, it's great when a tiki bar has such a reputation that people travel to that location just to visit that bar. Um, there's a new bar that's going into, um, I think, Des Moines. There's a new one going into Louisville, Kentucky. There's, wow. There, there, there's a there's a tiki bar in Johnson City, Missouri. Wow. Uh, called Shrunken Head, and um, there's a there's a tiki bar in Memphis. It needs to be better. I wish I could have put my hands on that project to make it more tiki, uh, but they tried. And uh, there's a new tiki bar in Dallas. So it's it's happening in the Midwest in a really strong strong way. I think Chicago has really helped. I think that uh, big kudos to Paul McGee and uh, Three Dots and Lost Lake and and the energy he's given a lot of this area to help other people perpetuate that idea in, in other markets. Um, I, I, Mark Sellers uh, and, and Tiki Cat has been a huge uh, catalyst for uh, this whole movement here yeah, in the Midwest. Yeah, I would agree uh, with that. Yeah, so uh, that's that's huge. Uh, you know, I and I am working on opening a tiki bar in Little Rock, and uh, I'm going to see that come to fruition. Um, and I, I hope that it's sooner than later, but, uh, Oh, you got to tell us more about that. I want to know more about that. (laughs) Well, whatever you can say, I got to tell you, I, I really have, um, when I have a chance, I've talked to Martin Kate and I've talked to, uh, Jeff Berry and I've talked to Paul McGee. Um, those three guys are kind of like the godfathers of influence. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, um, I really respect their input, and um, I had an opportunity when Tiki Cat opened. I was there, and um, the place was rocking and rolling, and I was over in the corner. Uh, Martin 
was washing the dishes, the washing the glassware, and I was drying the glassware. Wow! And uh, we were sitting over there chatting, and um, and he echoed what what Jeff Barry had said to me before. And uh, small, uh, you know, um, everybody has has encouraged me to to keep it a small space. Um, I, I I have found a location that I'm interested in, and it's about two thousand square feet, and of course. A large portion of that will be uh, the bar and bar space. Uh, a large portion of that will be uh, a little food area. Um, in, in Little Rock, it is uh, it is almost mandatory to, to do a little food in a cocktail right, bar. Right, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to keep that very, very simple. So 40, 50 people, you know, uh, not not Tiki Tees, um, but, but as close as possible. Yeah, and, um, yeah. And um, – I, Mark Madro, who helped open Tiki Cat and who also uh, uh, worked at Tonga Room in Los Angeles and in Palm Springs and has has um, done some other stuff um, and is, is, is a, a personality that people in the Tiki community knows. He's he's interested in helping me with my project here in Little Rock. Um, and uh, we're hoping that that um, that I that. Uh, we can have this happen within the next year. Um, I, I, there's some legal things I'm kind of watching and looking at and not legal things that I'm dealing with, but right. uh, kind of, I had an area in mind. I had a, a, a property in mind. Uh, so yeah, we're just kind of pricing it out and, and getting ourselves ready. Um, and uh, I, I, there has never been a Tiki bar in Little Rock. There have been Tiki bars in Arkansas. There was, a tiki bar in Hot Springs, Arkansas, called the Trade Winds, and um, I want to be uh, the man who puts the first tiki bar in Little Rock. Hey, I want you to be that guy too. <laughs> 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 I'm excited about that, man. That's an exciting thing. So yeah, um, and, and I, I think that you know, um, I kind of uh, Mark when when Mark and I have have had our conversations. Uh, I told him, you know, he's like, well, what is, what is your vision for this? You know, cause I, I love the Tiki culture through and through. And I, I am really drawn to, uh, Maorian culture specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, there's something very spiritual about their culture to me. Um, and I, I, I love their culture and I would love to do a really cool upscale classic Tiki bar that is just really a Maorian themed Tiki bar. Um, that just kind of has the beauty of that culture that would not work in a market like this. I don't think, I think that okay. would have to be in a market like LA where there's a, a much more appreciative right, and not right. crowd. I'm, I, I'm, I think that we want to make this one really Polynesian pop, just a real mixed bag, right? make it, right. make it fun. And, and, uh, but I, I, I want to put a slogan above the door of my bar and I want it to say, um, uh, come in to decompress. Come in to decompose. I want people, <laughs> I want people to come and live there. You know. Yeah, I like that. Do you have a name already picked out? I do. Uh, we want to name it Hula Billies. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't realize this, but there was a strong connection uh, in the 30s and 40s and 50s. I, I guess it was that span. A lot of the the Western artists. Before yeah, it was yeah. Kind of, uh, had a strong association with 
uh, Hawaiian music and with Hapahola music. And um, there was this marriage of the Hawaiian steel with the Nashville steel guitar sounds. And um, so you had guys like Hank Snow and, and even I love um, Hank Snow. Hank, yeah. Hank Snow and Farron Young and, and um, even Hank Williams senior they all had these like hawaiian some of them had whole had hawaiian albums um uh, but a lot of them did hawaiian songs and and oh by the way um derek yanniger the 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 well-respected tiki artist derek mm-hmm. out of um, atlanta out of atlanta but he grew up in little rock with me here oh, okay and okay he uh, he and i went to grade school and high school together oh did you really yes we oh did. what a small world it's a small world. My my brother dated his sister, uh, yada yada. Wow. Um, and um, and it's it's even a smaller world when when you grew up Catholic in Little Rock because yeah. uh, it's not not a really large community. Um, uh, Derek really identifies with that whole kind of uh, hillbilly luau uh, type of thing, and I, I think you've seen him incorporate that into um, the past Tiki Oasis. Uh, themes and right, um, right. So uh, and and I, I I am expecting Derek to come and paint a really nice large mural on the sidewall of my my building if if I get the property. Um, that would be cool. It would be very cool. And uh, and Derek and I are friends. And and he said, man, you open a tiki bar in Little Rock, I'll come and, and do whatever you want. And he's he's he said that he would do that. Uh, uh you know. Um, uh, it would be an honor, and I love Derek to death. Um, so uh, that's a theme that people have seen before, um, and and we just kind of want to play upon that uh, a little bit of, of of a of a merge of our culture with the whole Polynesian culture. Yeah. Kind of a kind of a new Polynesian pop. <laughs> I think it's the perfect name considering Thanks. everything, like the the background of Polynesian pop and where the bar is located. And the fact that you've got Derek Yanniger doing some art for you, I mean, like that is his style. Uh, yeah. I think it's the perfect name. I'm excited for you, Mark. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, uh, I love to sit and daydream about what my, my, what my mugs will look like for the Tiki Bar. <laughs> well, you're going to have to put one of those aside for me when, yeah, when, that, when I, that happens. I promise that I will. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to... Uh, say that I appreciate you taking some time out on your Saturday for me. Yeah. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast here since I met you. And so it's such an honor for me to actually have you on and talk a little bit about your background and, and all the other fun stuff you have coming soon. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's exciting. And, um, we've got to, we, as, as Martin Kate said, when he signed my, copy of uh, smugglers code um keep tiki alive in arkansas so that's my job <laughs> yeah very good very good is there anything that you want to promote i mean other than the bar coming do you have any social media that you want to throw out there or well i'm i'm working on uh i've got some friends that are going to help me do a podcast um i i get a lot of compliments i get a lot of feedback from people on the way i uh, dress the way i put together my aloha Wardrobe, your, your ensemble, my ensemble, and so uh, uh, going to start doing a podcast for the guys out there on on ideas on how to because you know it's funny uh, Adrian when I was in Portland I was wearing my lava lava yeah and uh, not too many people 
in that community have seen guys wear lava lavas. And as a member of the Fraternal Order of Moai, um, when I go to the 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 FOM events, we wear the lava lavas, right. and we have them in our chapter colors. And so, it is something that you will see at Ohana when when I'm on the East Coast. Uh, and it was. It, it was cool that, that I was introducing that to people, but I was a little surprised that people hadn't seen that. And, um, you know, just want to give people ideas on, on things that they could do and, and how to do it. And uh, I just get a lot of compliments on, on what I wear and how I put it together. So I'm just going to share some of that in some podcasts, um, maybe throw in a few drink recipes also. Um, if anyone is in the Midwest – uh, Kansas City on October the 20th. Uh, there is going to be a tiki festival in Kansas City called uh, Mahini. And um, I'm going to try to go to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Love to have it there. Um, and um, Mark uh, Madro, my partner in crime, is the is the person who's organizing that. And you can oh, very find, cool. You can find it on Facebook. If, if anybody's interested, just go to the Mocan Tiki webpage uh, on Facebook, and you can find information there. And that's M-O-K-A-N uh, for the Missouri-Kansas Tiki. Right, Missouri-Kansas, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Group. Yeah. Yeah, I'm part uh, of that group. Yeah, it's, it's a great group. It is. Um, and I guess that's all I got, man. I've, I've talked your ear off. Oh, I love it, man. Very cool. And when you get this podcast up and running – let me know, and I'll help promote that with my audience, too. Oh, heck yeah. I, I would love to do that. Yeah, maybe we can do a swap cast. Maybe you can give me some fashion tips. Gladly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to get a. Uh, I need to send a lava lava to you. Oh, that's very nice of you. Well, yeah. I, I dropped your mug in the mail the other day. Woo-hoo. I don't know if you got it yet. You should be getting it either today or if I don't know if you're going to get deliveries tomorrow, but it should be arriving any time now. And I threw in a T-shirt for you, too. So. Awesome. I, I guessed on the size, so don't be offended if I got it wrong. <laughs> I uh, just as long as just as long as you uh, sent a fat boy shirt, then you'll, you'll then we're good. Well, I, I I suppose I blew the surprise, but that that's that's uh that's why I guessed on the size because I didn't want you to know that it was coming. I wanted it to be a surprise <laughs> when you opened the box, but I guess I blew my own surprise. So. I appreciate that. Hey, just to verify, that is that is Mala Malahini. Okay. Uh, October 20th and um, there is a you can also google Malahini because I think that uh, Mark created a separate page for it but yeah people come on out and uh, I love the fact a lot of the people on uh, the west coast are coming into Kansas City to visit Tiki Cat and check it out so you could come in visit Tiki Cat go to Malahini and have a good weekend yeah 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 well you know uh, I'm going to try to find my way out there and maybe I can bring my recording equipment and record with some folks. So we'll, we'll see if I can make that happen. Right on. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Mark, uh, yeah. for joining us on the podcast. It's such an honor to sit down and get to know more about you. I look forward to seeing you again soon. I do too. And and uh, side note, I want to we offer mana to all the people on the west coast that are dealing with these forest fires it, oh, it's so nice of you they've they finally got them under control so thank god thank god yeah. I, I i feel for people and um i hope that that everybody can rebound which i know is easier said than done yeah but, yeah 
Yeah, really easier said than done. It was very cool of you to, to throw that out there. Thank you so much, Mark. You are welcome. And yes, I look forward to seeing you again, brother. Okay, man. Yeah, so um, we'll raise one up to you out here. And uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, or just want to leave a shout out for Mark, or you want to find out anything more about what he's doing out there in Arkansas, leave a note for him on our group page inside the Desert Oasis Room on Facebook. And uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at Polynesian Pop. Or if you want to listen to previous episodes, check out DesertOasisRoom.com. Woohoo! Mahalo Nui Loa. Mahalo Nui Loa. All right, Mark. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Aloha. This episode was brought to you in part by Tiki Island Expo. Happening Saturday, September 8th at Original Mics in Santa Ana, California. The Tiki Island Expo combines live music on two stages with 80 lifestyle vendors, three bars, a full restaurant, and plenty of free parking. Purchase advance tickets for only $5 entry. For more information, search Tiki Island Expo on Facebook.